Okay, I'll admit it. Sometimes the podcast is just a great excuse for me to catch up with people that I really enjoy hanging out with. <laughs> so today's guest is Kay Southcombe, who I have been trying to get on the podcast for ages because she has been working at Martin and Pleasance, which is a homeopathic pharmacy here in Australia, for 17 years. Now, I've been in Perth for the last six years, and so I used to get my remedies from Similimum in New Zealand, and it was just a little bit tricky once we moved over to Western Australia. So then I started ordering from Martin and Pleasance, and I got to know the ladies really well and I usually place an order at least once a week and it was always lovely to deal with Kay. She was always so friendly and it was just a great opportunity to get her on the show, hang out with her. We got to chat for an hour after the episode. It was so lovely. All these years we've only just chatted over the phone so it was nice to actually chat over Zoom and get to see each other. So Kay, this was so lovely to get to speak with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and um, yeah, it was really fun. Let's do it again. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to hang out with the lovely Kay Southcombe from New Zealand. Welcome, Kay. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So we were just giggling before because myself and a past guest, the lovely Lauren Allender, has been hassling Kay to come on the show for a long time. So I'm really glad to finally have you on. Tell us a little bit, Kay, how were you first introduced to homeopathy? Well, it was a bit of a random connection, really. I I think I'd used a bit of homeopathy. I was always interested in natural health, but I thought perhaps I would do naturopathy. And then I'd used a bit of homeopathy when I was in London and it was presented, you know, you sort of could go to a pharmacy and see it in front of your face. So I used a bit there, but I didn't know a lot about it. My background was in horticulture. So I'd worked doing gardening and garden design for about 20 years and I wanted to change. And I I wasn't sure what was next. And so I actually went and lived on a Buddhist retreat center outside Sydney for what I thought was going to be a couple of months. And that turned into 18 months. And I left there thinking, oh, I still, I don't know what's next. And I decided to catch up with a friend on my way driving back to Melbourne, who was in Sydney for the Olympics. And she very randomly invited someone who I didn't know along to our catch up, which I thought was really odd at the time. And this person was studying homeopathy and was just so passionate about it and said, you've got to go and see this person before you leave town. And anyway, so I booked an appointment and went to see this practitioner. And somehow driving back to Melbourne, I mean, it just really excited me and fascinated me. And somehow I arrived back in Melbourne deciding that's what I was going to do, study homeopathy. So I went and enrolled at the Australian College of Natural Medicine and did a bachelor degree. So I didn't see it coming. It really did feel like it came out of left field. That's really beautiful. Homeopathy has a way of finding us, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes, that's what it feels like happened, actually. Yeah. Now, you have worked at Martin and Pleasant for 17 years, and that's why I moved to Perth six years ago. And so I used to order from Similimum in New Zealand because that was nice and easy. And then I came over here and the shipping took too long. And then I found out about Martin and Pleasance. And we've had so many phone calls and emails back and forth between yourself and Lauren, when she used to work there. 
And when I found out that Martin Pleasance has been around for over a hundred years, I just really wanted to get somebody on the show that can tell us about the history of this pharmacy that we're so lucky to have had in Australia for all of this time. And it's just so beautiful to get to see you face to face because we've had so many emails back and forth over the years and phone calls. And I felt the same with Lauren when I got to see her face to face because you ladies have been so helpful to me over the years. You know, I could call you up and you always know about remedies and I've even asked you for suggestions for cases and you're so knowledgeable. So before we get into too much of the interview, I want to say how much I appreciate all the help that you've given me over the years and just oh. how wonderful it is to get to <laughs> Well, so- we remember you arriving on the scene actually because, and I, <laughs> because you're so positive and so enthusiastic and so appreciative, I think, like a lot of our practitioners are, but you were also building a dispensary. So you were ordering frequently and yeah, um, yeah so I, it's hard to believe that six years ago. It is hard to believe. It's definitely, yeah, it went really fast. It also, it feels like ages ago and it also feels incredibly fast. It's yeah, very, yeah. Very bizarre. So tell us a little bit about how you, your journey with Martin and Pleasance, when did you first start? Well, I started soon after I finished studying. So maybe a year after in 2005 and at that time, we were in Richmond and the lab was much smaller and it was very, almost like a library, our work environment, which, you know, in some ways is ideal, but we had no contact with practitioners because we had orders would come in through a customer service person who wasn't a homeopath. So that was a challenge in itself for them, for everyone, I think. So compared to now when we have two or three phone lines and we really have uh, worked hard at establishing a good communication system with our practitioners and I think that's been a huge difference and a fantastic change for Martin and Pleasance and we moved places into another lab and then within the new premises in Port Melbourne we moved to another lab within that so there's been sort of lots of changes on the ground and different teams along the way and I mean I think for me Working there has been fantastic in so many ways because one is you get to work with other homeopaths and that's fantastic where most of us work on our own in isolation and I think we've been so busy in the last few years, there's less time for chat along the way, but there's always time for sharing a case that you've just done or a case that's difficult or an interesting remedy that someone's ordered And it definitely sounds like things have ramped up there over the last couple of years, especially over COVID time. And I know that it's been some extra staff members added and things as well, because I know that, yeah, it's, it used to be, I used to be able to get the orders like really quick. And then over COVID, you guys got so busy and it sounds like that's just continued. It's still really, really busy. That's right. And I think we always prided ourselves on getting orders out, you know, very, very quickly. And then when COVID hit, Practitioners went into overdrive, understandably, and we just had, we were inundated with orders. Literally, we had to have, it was like doing triage. Someone was just (laughs) having to manage emails and orders and because it was just really too much to Mm -hmm. use our normal systems. And I guess that settled down a bit, but it settled down. It's still leaving us much busier and we've it's ever a wonderful been problem before. to have. <laughs> That's right, it is. But it's quite hard to, even with new staff, to get mm. back to that 
turnaround time that we used to have. I mean, well, it I'm used so to be pretty so spectacular, cool. to be fair. I think we were just really That's spoiled right. before. <laughs> I know. It doesn't I... help when you have practitioners that like me that every couple of hours, oh, can you add this to my order? Oh, can you add this yeah, to my yeah. order? <laughs> and I think at one stage, like a few years ago, you had to go to a different building to go and process the payments, hey? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yes, things have become more streamlined, thank goodness, and more we're always looking to be more efficient, but mm. there is only so fast you can make remedies. Exactly. You need to go through all the checks and balances mm. to make, we always record the details of each remedy we make, including the stock that it's made from. So we can always check back and go to the drawer and go, yes, this is an impotency made from the impotency. Mm. So you can't cut out any of those processes or mm. With a homeopathic remedy, there's nothing to tell one apart from another. So you have to have accuracy mm. in your processes. And, yeah, so we're pretty fast, but... <laughs> yeah, you're human <laughs> at the end of the day. It's <laughs> handmade. So yeah. I think that's interesting in itself. I've mm. never been to another homeopathic pharmacy in the background to see whether they have different systems in place. It would be interesting. I have to say the pharmacy side of things really fascinate me. And I think it's, I actually recently did like this personality profile type thing oh, with yeah. coach and my thing was hundred percent crafts person. So I like doing things with my hands and creating things. And so I yeah. think that's why the pharmacy side of things really fascinate me and get me excited. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Martin and Pleasance? That's something I'm really intrigued by that they've been around for so long. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, well, that's another thing that I love about working at Martin and Pleasance is that you're sort of part of the, you become part of the history of it, which goes back to 1855. When we were, you know, we, because I do feel part of that, <laughs> that legacy, <laughs> opened in Collins Street in Melbourne, so right in the heart of Melbourne and in a quite substantial building. And it changed hands a few times in the first sort of 10 years, but really... Mr. Pleasance was involved with Martin and Pleasance up until the present owners bought it 30 years ago. So I think Mr. Martin ended up going back to England, but it still stayed as Martin and Pleasance. And so it had a long history within one family. And now I had 30 years in another family. And so the homeopathic lab part of it is really like the original dispensary. So it feels amazing that in various forms mm -hmm. it has survived up until today. And we have at Martin and Pleasance old ledgers with prescriptions handwritten for that came from the original Martin and Pleasance building in Collins Street. So quite amazing. I was once giving a presentation at one of the colleges on the history of homeopathy and part of the story is that because they opened a homeopathic hospital in Melbourne and part of the story is that it was 15 influential women from Melbourne who lobbied the government to get the land to build the hospital on. And the, the uh, lecturer there was who's a homeopath said, oh, she'd recently found out that one of her, I think it was, I don't know if it was her great-grandmother was one of those influential women who was involved in the, the lobbying and she hadn't known, but she'd gone on to study homeopathy. So sort of interesting. 
That's connection. very interesting. And I actually had just, as you were talking, made a note here to mention about the homeopathic hospital because there used to be five homeopathic hospitals in Australia. I think two in Sydney, two in Tasmania, one in Melbourne, something like that. I could be, yeah. could be wrong. But I almost feel, and I think it was only like the 1950s or so it was closed down. It's not even that long ago. I think like, earlier than that. Earlier than that? Okay. Yeah. I think the British Medical Association was highly political and they they passed laws that really made it extremely difficult for homeopaths to practice. And I think they made it illegal for allopathic doctors to practice with homeopathic doctors. Mm. And so in the end, it became an allopathic hospital. Mm. So it was homeopathic for a period of time and then became allopathic. Mm. But at the Trades Hall building in Melbourne, on the wall downstairs, there's a painted scroll which lists all the workers who worked on building the homeopathic hospital. So that was sort of fascinating to stumble upon one day because, you know, I think back to those in the 1800s when homeopathy had quite a visibility in Melbourne. Now you could walk around Melbourne and not not see anything to do with homeopathy. It's sort of mm. a shame in a way that it's it doesn't have the visibility, but... I don't know whether the future will change that. Oh, I do know it will, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I have to do it single-handedly. <laughs> yes, well, you are, doing, you are doing well in that direction. Well, we all are. We all play our part. Hey, this is just That's my right. part that I'm playing. But imagine like seeing a homeopathic pharmacy in Collins Street like I know even if you just if you even if you didn't know what homeopathy was just walking past it and seeing the word homeopathy subconsciously somewhere that would go and lay down some foundations or lead you to ask questions or make you wonder what that is so yeah that visibility is actually a big thing having the name right there for people to see and ask questions about so yeah, maybe Martin and Pleasance have to move their offices to the main street. <laughs> yes. Well, we always used to sort of joke about when we when the lab moved to back to Collins Street and we opened a dispensary, a bit like Smillerman in New Zealand used to be, where they had the storefront oh. as also part of the dispensary. Did you go to their place? And I've I walked past it. I lived in Wellington for a couple of years. That was before I even knew what homeopathy was. Oh. But I yeah had had walked past it. Oh, hang on, was it? No, I'm in trying to think now. The Lincoln Key area. Yeah, no, that's right. Because I lived in Wellington in 2006 and I studied in 2010. So that was before I would have even known what homeopathy was. But I do recall walking past. Yeah. 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 So do you still have some of the, like you say, the original, like the old bottles? Have you got much memorabilia and things in the building itself? Yeah, we do actually. And sometimes people turn up with bottles that they've got. Oh which they'd like to pass back to the company. So there's a display upstairs with old bottles. I found some once by chance in some quirky shop in Melbourne where they had Martin and Pleasant's bottles and I think some creams and things. So, yes, they do turn up Mm. from time to time. And how special for you to even just touching those bottles or working with those original stock bottles, knowing how many homeopaths' hands would have, how much... Love yeah, would have gone right. into dispensing that. How many people would have been healed that you would just never even know about yeah, just yeah. from this one bottle? And funnily enough, now that you say that, we none of us ever tried any of the remedies from those bottles. Really? We never opened them. I mean, that would have been quite interesting if we'd had the opportunity to see whether they were still potent. Oh, they! I'm convinced they would have been. Now you're yeah. going to have to go try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So tell me a little bit, Kay, what are some of the more unusual remedies maybe that you've worked with over the years? That's I asked Lauren that as well, because that's something I'm fascinated by. What are some of the more unusual ones that you've worked with? Oh, gee, there are so many. I mean, I think (laughs) when we were in lockdown, I used to think, oh, look, if I got stuck in the lab, if I got locked down in the lab, it would be my happy place because you could (laughs) spend all that time going through the drawers, discovering all these remedies that, because there's so many we don't know we have, that it's only when people order them and we kind of go, oh, we've got this remedy because there are quite a few old remedies that have been with Martin and Pleasance for a long time. I saw one the other day in the catalogue called Cystinum and I thought, oh, oh, what's that? And I looked it up and it's L-cystine, actually, I think a precursor to L-cystine. Oh, like so a that, protein. Yeah. So that just, be, you know, it's just invisible in our catalogue until, yeah, it's. I, I love that about it. There are so many remedies. Oh, well, I think all the imponderables are always mm. kind of fascinating, aren't they? Like time. <laughs> I've never... I did not know that. So not time the herb, time as in time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you're going to have to talk about that one. I have never heard of that. (laughs) I know nothing. That's, I mean, it's fantastic getting, now we have great communication with our practitioners. We get uh, lots of ideas for what to order in from practitioners, ordering remedies we personally don't know of and don't have in stock. So recently I've, become aware through a number of orders of all the aqua remedies, like all the water remedies, Ah, which when I started researching them, there are, I don't know what my list is up to now, maybe about 50 of them. So that's so many. Yeah, so many. And some made from like holy wells around the place Mm -hmm. or like the Ganges water or lots of different sources. But I think someone has written a book. So no doubt they will become more popular as word gets out and there'll be webinars done and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, someone started asking about fossil remedies and I had not come across those at all. And then I looked them up and there must be about 40 of them, which oh, are totally. I just know of T-Rex. Weird. I didn't know there were others. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's heaps of them. Oh, look, we do get unusual orders at times. And sometimes I think it could be because different remedies are available in different potencies in different countries. But I always remember the person who ordered, they wanted bladder orientalis mud tincture. And, you know, when you <laughs> work in the lab, yeah, you kind of get quite what things are made from. And, <laughs> and it was like, do you really want that? But, I mean, maybe in India or somewhere they do use it in mother tincture. I'm not sure. So just for our, list, can... for our listeners, just to clarify, the ones that might not understand the joke in this, that bladder is made from the cockroach. So this person, for the mother tincture, would that would be actual, like, crushed cockroach. Grinded up, round up <laughs> yeah. cockroach, yes. And sometimes aconite mother tincture, oh. which I think perhaps might be used in India. I think the one X is. So, you know, mm. there are different practices around the world. And maybe for but people we, who d- that don't yeah. get that one, aconite is a poison, which in homeopathic potency, obviously is not an issue, but in a one X, I don't know if I would necessarily prescribe that too frequently. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but one thing that, uh, you know, I was just reflecting on the other day that's been interesting because of the length of time I've been there is the change in 
the groups of remedies that are ordered. I remember back in the day when minerals <laughs> were very prominent in people's orders because it was all the work. Jan Shelton did all the work and on those. And so we were ordering in lots and lots of the salts from the periodic table. And then the lanthanides were very popular. And now we really get a smattering of orders for those, not so much. And then there were there's the gem remedies, which Peter Tominello has done so much work on, and all the plant remedies when there was a lot more work done on plants. And so people started ordering unusual plants, not just the normal polycress. And, yeah, it's been really varied over the years with what is what's current. So at the moment I would say Ton Janssen's work with and using all the poly remedies. So I don't know, 18 months ago we didn't have, or we had an antibiotic mix in and something else, but we didn't, we hadn't known of the poly remedies. So now we have a wide range of poly remedies. It must be longer than that because I remember still working in the health shop when I started hassling you guys. So it must have been like, four months, uh, four years ago, and I started calling up, hey, Lauren, hey, Kay. Right, right. Yeah, so yes, it feels like it's been, been a while. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, you must see, like, it must be interesting, all the trends, because it is, you know, there's like maybe a webinar on on something, and then suddenly you'll probably get all these orders and, and uh, or That's somebody right, really we do, and you, book. Yes, and when you get an order, for some, an unusual remedy, and then you get three more, and then you go, <laughs> somebody's done a webinar somewhere, especially if it's something you haven't come across. Mm. So often we will get in touch with a practitioner and go, where's the reference, just so we can see whether there are other remedies associated to order in because we try our best to be as current as possible mm. with getting new remedies in to sort of help practitioners where they want to practice I think the other thing I was thinking about that was the biggest eye-opener, I guess, from working at Martin and Pleasance in a positive way was is the wide range of ways that homeopathy is used, mm. which you can see from people's orders. And these are from successful practitioners who've been in practice for a long time. And I think a lot of our training, mine included, was more along the classical prescribing lines. And so when I started working there and we were having orders for three litres of sulfur CM and <laughs> seven litres of a complex and yeah, just unusual orders, but from someone who was ordering frequently and obviously had a busy practice. So that would be the extreme end from people who order mm. 10 mil stock bottles as the kind of standard. But even Within that, there's a wide variation of potency. You can tell some people have are comfortable prescribing 6X mm. or 6C, and that's that's just the potency that they order things in. And others use a lot more 10M, 50M, CM, that end of the spectrum. Other people will order more polycress and work within that range or polycress in potency cords. So mm. as a standard thing, instead of just a single potency. So it's very interesting to kind of see that. And for me, I just think homeopathy is a lot more flexible and adaptable than perhaps we give it credit 
for. And I think that's a really great thing that it will survive a long time because of that, that it doesn't have to be just finding the needle in the haystack Mm. to be successful. So, yeah, and I think another practitioner who is a very, very long-term practitioner who has also done acupuncture and Chinese medicine but didn't want to use the Chinese medicine because fear of contamination. So uses we would make them all up for him into homeopathic potency and he uses them in potency and gets cool. great effects. So, yeah, I, th- I think that... One of the things that I noticed, I think we all did when we were studying and soon after going to lots of different seminars is that there can be, sometimes homeopathy can be a bit like religion. There can be this way is how you do it and this way is not how you do it. And it always seemed disappointing in a small modality to have that kind of approach. Whereas I just think there are so many ways that homeopathy can be useful and the more it's out there the better for all of us and there are many approaches that work obviously you see it in the lab with people who are still practicing they haven't changed and you know the ones who use polycrest consistently in their practice get fantastic results and then the practitioners who are at the cutting edge of every order having half their order at least that needs to go on back order because (laughs) they're new remedies and Mm. not particularly known to Mm. the rest of us. But I applaud people who can keep up with all the new things in homeopathy because Mm. it's sort of endless, really, limitless. Mm. I actually, homeopaths need to realize it's a superpower. It's not something that is inhibiting us, that we have so many tools and so many different prescribing methods. And that's what I really hope we can change our mindset around. That uh, it's okay if you just prescribe polycrest. It's okay if you just use facial analysis. It's okay if you use intuitive homeopathy. That makes us stronger as a profession, not weaker. Yes. Because the person that needs your particular set of skills is going to come and see you. And if you only want to specialize in this or that, you know, that's going to be the area that you become stronger and more knowledgeable in. And that's fine. And I actually had such an eye opening experience recently when somebody said to me, um, they wanted to, they're still learning homeopathy and they wanted to know if. They asked the practitioner, this client of mine is on the contraceptive pill. Can homeopathy help? And the practitioner said, no, the person needs to go off the contraceptive pill before we can help. And this person became so disheartened that she thought, maybe homeopathy is not for me. Maybe I should stop studying it. And that broke my heart. Like, how can we be so egotistical to think that it's up to us Like we can dictate what lifestyle somebody would have, what they would choose for themselves personally in any sort of way. Otherwise, we can or cannot treat them. To hear that that is a mindset that exists in homeopathy is shocking to me. And we Mm -hmm. need to get rid of that on all fronts and get that ego out of it because it's all about our client and we need to always be asking how we can help them. I cannot imagine to say to a client ever that I cannot help them. I've never said that to anyone. I mean, like literally my t-shirt says, yes, I have a remedy for that because (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter what the problem is. 
we can help. We might not be able to cure in all cases because sometimes it's just not possible yes. because of organ failure or because of long-term medication that somebody has to be on. But certainly we can do things to help them. So yeah, that's I, I really, I really hope we can make that paradigm shift in homeopathy as a profession that mm. however you practice is okay. And the person, the client that needs what you have will come and find you. It's energy medicine at the end of the day. You know, yes. that resonance is out there. So that person, if they resonate with what you do, will be drawn to you. So Yes, I wonder how, I know, but I, uh, to me, I think it's a really important step that to happen in homeopathy because Mm. working in the lab, I guess you get a unique insight into the wide variation of what works, you know, it's, and I don't know how to change, you know, how to communicate that more widely to, to the wider homeopathic community and that, that black and white mindset isn't isn't helpful Serving. to the profession or no, to not. yeah patients. I think I think a lot of that is ego personally mm. I think if we mm. can get that ego out of the way and stay open and receptive which is actually what we're preaching yes. but I think we need to practice a little bit more what we preach even just really be the unprejudiced observer and just you know yes. not put our own ideals onto people and I have been guilty of that in the past I'll be the first person to put up my hand where at one stage I was, I never actually said it, but at one stage I got so disheartened once the no jab, no play came into Perth. And I was like, well, I don't want to vaccinate with family. I don't want to treat families who vaccinate their kids because it's just, I couldn't handle, like, I didn't think I could handle the fact that a client ever said to me, my child had a vaccine reaction. That would be heartbreaking to me personally. And so um, I didn't think that I could handle that. And then I was, I had to take a deep breath and put that aside and just, you know, have good boundaries in place and not get too involved in those cases. And I can only do what I can do. I am not their savior. I am not their guru. I'm going to help them to the very best of my ability, but their personal choices is not up to me to decide. And I am just here to support. And yeah, uh, yeah so I I say this knowing that I have been there and I've al- almost fallen into that trap, <laughs> but I managed to pull myself out of it and realize I could just get back to get back to we're just here to help. Um, sorry, I don't want to go off topic, Kay. Let's just yeah. bring it all back. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really wanted to ask you if you have ever been affected by any of the remedies that you've worked because that's something I've heard often. Actually, I lit- listened to a lecture yeah. once by Karen Allen. It was a few years ago, and she said, never make your own remedies because, you know, every remedy that you open will affect you. And then I was at the same time thinking, well, what about the people that work in the pharmacies that have to prepare a hundred remedies a day. If they, if you truly are affected by every single remedy that you open, then we wouldn't have homeopathic pharmacies. But have you ever been? <laughs> have yeah, you ever right. been affected by a remedy yourself? Like as when you've had to prepare no, something for somebody? I don't feel like I have personally, but I have worked with people in the lab who have had unusual reactions who couldn't do certain things. So I think you know we do the triturations in the lab and she couldn't triturate silica because I think she had a belly button piercing and it would aggravate her belly button piercing. And someone else had a reaction to something else where she felt like she couldn't walk properly. I can't remember what the remedy was, something fairly common like calc or something like that. So there have been odd remedies. And I mean, certainly you feel exhausted at the end of a day, but I think that's 
I don't know that that's the remedies. And I don't know, perhaps they all antidote each other. And maybe there have been the odd ones that I've been sensitive to, but I, in the mix of everything, haven't particularly noticed. I, it, do you feel it comes down to a individual thing? Because some people are definitely more affected by remedies than yes. others. You get some people I that do. are so I sensitive. Think, yeah. Yeah. That highly sensitive mm. individual is probably not suited to working in there. Mm. They're great for provings though. So if we want yes. to know exactly. <laughs> what a remedy can produce, they have great people to do provings on because they yeah. often can just hold a remedy and just tell you how they are affected. So we need more of those to help us with our provings. Yes, that's right. And I always think like Hahnemann proved 120 remedies on himself and he lived to be 88 in a time when people were not living half his age. I remember writing that as one of my assignments in college and thinking, oh, wow, well, he proved 120 remedies on himself. So he did something right if he lived to be 88 um, when people were not living that long. That's a very good advertisement for homeopathy. Yeah. So, you know, you should live to at least 200 because you would have like inhaled (laughs) (laughs) thousands of remedies. (laughs) Uh, and have you ever had RSI from succussing all those remedies? Uh, no, I sort of have more RSI from my gardening work. So never had actually RSI, but we did. We do try to change, you know, hands, but I don't know, not many of us are ambidextrous, never get quite the same rhythm happening with my left hand. But I think the work in the lab was always fairly varied. So you would be up and down getting remedies. I think succussing all day, sure, you would get exhausted and putting lids on tightly mm. nonstop. That sort of gets exhausting. But no, I don't know that anyone has actually. In the time that I've been there, no one has developed RSI. Oh, maybe and if they, they did, would have a remedy for it. I was going to say, maybe they've made enough rust talks on most days yes. that they don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> or to grab. How many remedies does Martin Pleasants have on their catalogue in total, just roughly? Yeah, well, I reckon it must be three and a half to 4,000. Mm-hmm. And I think when I started, no, maybe it's about 3,000. I think when we started, we had about two and a half. Mm-hmm. And I did do a count fairly recently, as accurately as I could in a, you know, without counting each remedy, maybe it's closer to 3000 with that's, numerous potencies. I was about to say, so that's individual. like the single remedies, not the potencies. Cause you can have like yeah. six potencies in each of yeah. those. Yes. So storage yeah. becomes a bit of a mission, I would imagine. It sure does. And we're in the process now of trying to get some more cabinets because we're getting new remedies in all the time. And, and there is only so many, times you can expand and find a space <laughs> because you have to be able to find them again. You need things to be clearly positioned or else when you're going to find them, if they're one after the other, it's mm-hmm. uh, and when you lose a remedy in the lab, that's a nightmare because, you know, it's got its spot. It's not there. It's got to be somewhere, but you just have way too many remedies to ever chance. I mean, we look sort of a draw wide and then go, well, it'll turn up or it won't turn up. Well, we're at 1,800 total remedies at the moment. And I know it's the same for us. Like if we lose a remedy, it's like, oh my gosh, but ours is all numbered. And then we have a Excel file. And so if you're looking for uh, an acardium, you can just search in the the document anacardium and it will say it's number 1078. So you'd go to 1078 and find the bottle. And we found that works quite well. But we have yes. had some go walk about and it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if one knows seven, eight is an empty 
spot. Uh, if it's, uh, yeah, no, so if uh, if you go to what, where 107 H should be and there's an empty spot, then you're like, okay, somebody didn't put it back. Where is it? Yeah, yeah. See, you've, I suppose we've inherited a system of cataloging the remedies. Mm. And so ours are all in alphabetical order. Are yours in alphabetical order? No, we started no. that way, but it got too hard to find them. And That's actually right. the Excel sheet is way easier because you can just type in what you're searching for and it tells you straight away That's what the number right. is. And then we've got a numbering. So you just go straight to that number right. and grab it. So whatever remedy you need, it takes you, you know, 10 seconds to find it. That's right. That's really good because squeezing remedies into the A's or the C's where there's so many remedies... <laughs> Because they, they're in alphabetical order, that's the challenge. Whereas it would be much easier to do it by just adding on a number mm. at the end. Well, you're welcome to use my system. I got well, taught that in college by the lovely <laughs> Julie Andrews, who was one of my lecturers. Yeah, she said that. And I could do it in alphabetical up to about 200. And after that, it got too hard. So I used Julie's system that she taught us in college all yeah, that way yeah. back. Yeah. But it's funny in homeopathy because we have a lot of remedies that start with A, B and C. Yes. And also S and R and T. Like there's a lot around that. Yeah. And then, like the yeah. L and the M's. There's a lot around L and M's. And then, um, yeah, so <laughs> kind of like the front, middle and back, but not so much of the others so if you do it alphabetical you have to leave way more space for the abs and c's that's right yeah yeah Yeah. all these little practical things that you just wouldn't think about otherwise (laughs) okay have you maybe to finish us off got any any final thoughts that you want to leave us with about homeopathy or about the lab or just any any final message you want to leave us with well I think in my time at the homeopathic lab, we've become really connected to the community and practitioners of all descriptions, not just homeopaths. And so I think my hope is that homeopathy is used more and more widely and that we have become more accepting of different approaches, even if it's not maybe the way that we were taught. So the more people who use homeopathy, the more pressure there will be that homeopathy is available, the more likely it is that places like the homeopathic lab with its long legacy will continue into the future and hopefully become stronger and increase its visibility and become a place that is like a hub for homeopathy, which I think would be so fantastic to have, Mm. and you know, lots of my colleagues and I have talked about, wouldn't it be amazing to have a homeopathic centre like a hub that was a dispensary where there were practitioners, where people could access it so it was a visible front. And, yeah, I just, I would love to see that. That would be Mm. really, really fantastic. Well, let's keep that vision of Martin Pleasance back on Collins Street in the most beautiful, <laughs> hugest, welcoming building with thousands of people streaming in and out, getting their kids, getting their remedies, telling their friends about it, coming in for consultations. And um, personally, I still have that vision of, I don't see it as a homeopathic hospital. I just want to see homeopathy use in existing hospitals alongside pharmaceutical yeah, medicine. Wow. Yeah. But just seeing that again, we've had that in the past. We can have it yeah. again. It wasn't that long ago that we still had a homeopathic hospital here, but just seeing homeopathy in its rightful place um, as a valid first line option for families across the world. That couldn't couldn't have said it better. That's fantastic. Mm. <laughs> Here's to that. Thank you so much, Kay. It was so, so, so lovely to finally get to have a face-to-face chat with you. I've really enjoyed our time together. 
Oh, me too. Thanks very much for inviting me. All the best. Bye. Bye.